0: Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. I'm Travis, you're Kyle, and Kyle, we've been blessed with a week without Bears football. How are you feeling?
1: Uh, You know, I'm glad it's a week after they won, after a little bit of a Justin Fields heater, so uh, probably false hope reigns right now, but there's still a little bit of hope. There's a little bit of hope.
0: I've been enjoying these 10 days. It's
1: been nice. It's been nice. Yeah, it was nice to watch... Football on Sunday and Monday with no Bears to cloud the day in any way, shape, or form. Um, and yeah, so this week, guys, we, we we don't have a lot of Bears stuff to cover. We're we're just gonna we're gonna take a little breather. Um, and we thought we'd talk about some stuff around the league, some stuff that's come up. We thought we'd maybe uh, primarily we'd talk about quarterbacks because a lot of our if you have been with us since the start of scott cast version two um we talked a lot about quarterbacks leading up to the draft and we talked a lot about quarterback rankings and all that and so you know we're, we're past the quarter mark of the season and we're, we're revisiting i think some quarterbacks today looking around at how some rookies and some not rookies are doing how well some of our takes from the summer may have aged and then we'll look around at some other some other stuff, you know, got a couple surprise teams maybe to talk about, some other things like that. So, Travis, where would you like to begin on this buffet of takes, This the freedom to range around the NFL, pick anything
0: you want off the menu, and have a take on it? I guess I'm going to give you uh, the one Bears-related thing we may want to talk about today, which is Justin Jefferson is now on injured reserve. That's right, yeah. So,
1: I mean, the Bears have an opportunity here. If Justin Fields keeps, keeps up this heater, they play the Vikings and the Raiders at home, and then they play the Chargers. That is... Three real fucking bad defenses in a row. Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, I think... Certainly so again,
1: if, if Justin Fields keeps up the heater he has been on, it's still not necessarily like a definitive the kid has arrived, the kid has leveled up moment. Because um, you'd still like to then see him after this stretch keep it up against better defenses. But at the same time, there are three bad defenses. So it would st- it would would it would be a bummer if he fizzled out against these three teams as well. Yeah. So, you know, if you when it comes to the evaluation of Justin Fields, you want to see him do well against these three teams. And obviously, if you're Matt Eberflus, and, and I think neither of us is very wedded to Matt Eberflus, but if you're Matt Eberflus, you got to win these three fucking games too, pal. you got to win them so bad. you got to win them so hard. If three weeks from now, going into that Saints game, the Bears are four and five and, and on the bubble... Um, Matt Eberflus is probably going to feel pretty good If the Bears lose Sunday To a Justin jefferson list Vikings team He might not have a job Monday So what an exciting week for him uh,
0: If you think about it so, I was going to say This is, this is kind of more about Eberflus, right? It if is, you yeah can, If he can win the next two I would say yeah. The Chargers That that could be a whole thing <laughs> That could be like 50-50 to 50, uh, With the way those teams are Well, I, I will say He keeps playing well yeah, absolutely. That
1: could be Justin v. Justin with no defense on either side. Could be a pretty entertaining game if all goes well. So we'll see.
0: But, but yeah, I no. He, I, if you are able to I lose, think you hundred uh, percent. If you give up, if you give up the twenty-five plus uh, to the Vikings and they are without Justin Jefferson, this completely anemic offense, uh, and we lose somehow, like if Justin. Puts up 35 points and we still lose 38 to 35, 42 to 35. I think that could conceivably be the end of Matt Eberflusi.
1: I would, I would think so. So yeah, so yeah. No, that is the Bears' take of the week. They should, they should beat a Vikings team at home that doesn't have Justin Jefferson. It's a battle of one and five team, one and four teams.
0: Yep. They're
1: one and four, right? I don't know why I one hit a headache.
0: You keep I thinking there's a fifth loss in here I keep, just because it feels that
1: way. It just feels like it, yeah. I mean, some of them counted double. That Packers loss counted for like three. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, too, because for a specific, specific reasons why that Packers loss feels even worse now than it did then. Um it does. it's It's both good news and bad news. But, yeah, we'll uh, – I guess we could dive right into that take. They you want to start it. there?
0: Let's talk about Green Bay. So let's talk
1: about Jordan Love. So Monday night against the vaunted Las Vegas Raiders defense, and I'm yeah. saying that with the thickest sarcasm I can muster. Right. Jordan Love threw three interceptions. He was quite quite terrible. Uh, let's see here. What was the what was his final? You know what? We'll just look up because I'm going to need a lot of Jordan Love statistics here. I'm going to, I'm going to reel them off. We are going to have uh, some fun here with Jordan Love. So against the Raiders, my friend was 16 of 30 for 182 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions, a passer rating of 32.2. Now on the season. Our good friend up north is 90 of 162, which is 55.6% completions for 1,083 yards, 8 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 6.7 yards per attempt, and a 77.3 passer rating. Now, those numbers are bad. They're bad. Those are the numbers of the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. The quarterback... For the Green Bay Packers. Has bad numbers. This is the quarterback. For the, the Green Bay Packers. Who traditionally have. Very good quarterback. He have bad. Quarterback. I'm, I'm saying this very slowly. In case any Packers fans are listening. I'm trying to explain this to them. Your quarterback is. Bad. He's shitty. He can't throw football. You are. Fucked now, welcome to hell, take a seat. So yeah, that's about, I think that, um, so Jordan Love, we were, you know, it sounded like sour grapes, if you said it, after week one, because Bears fans were so pissed. But what pissed me off about that Bears game is that in that Bears game, even though he finished with What was it? He had finished the Bears game with 245 passing yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, a passer rating of 123 or whatever, even though the box score stats looked good. And that Jordan Love that week one game was such a perfect example of what people call box score scouting. Because if you were not a Packers fan or not a Bears fan, if you just a person, a neutral observer who watched that game and you came away impressed with Jordan Love And you probably didn't actually watch that game. You were probably just looking at the stats and saying, well, stats good, player good. Because Jordan Love had 245 yards, and I would say 50% of them came on two plays, one of which was a screen, a throwback screen to Aaron Jones, and the other was a busted coverage on Leak where Love fell down and almost missed the guy who had no one within 20 yards of him anyways. Every other pass, I mean, he was under 50. He finished the game at 55% completions, but he was under 50% for most of the game. He missed several wide-open targets. He felt pressure even when it wasn't there, and God knows with the Bears' defensive line against that Packers' offensive line. There, The, the pressure wasn't there. He still felt it sometimes and panicked. Um, and that's been a consistent trend since then, and it, the box score has just slowly started to align with the actual process. This is this is not an accurate quarterback. So we've talked a lot on this podcast when we were evaluating quarterbacks about pro football focus and their uh, adjusted completion percentage metric. And I like adjusted completion percentage because it takes out... Passes where a guy is hit as he's trying to throw the ball so the ball's inaccurate and wobbly. It takes out balls that are batted at the line of scrimmage. It takes out passes that are clearly thrown away to avoid a sack. It takes out spikes, and it takes out dropped passes. Literally just how often... It's a metric, basically, of how often did the quarterback aim a pass, get it off cleanly, and hit their intended target. Jordan Love's adjusted completion percentage this year, is 63%. That is and that's the adjusted completion percentage not the actual completion percentage. The actual the adjusted is almost always going to be about 10 points higher than the actual because these things drop, spikes, throwaways, bats, etc. they do they happen. Last year when everyone when Packers fans especially were calling Justin Fields a running back who can't throw, Justin Fields had an adjusted completion percentage of 71.7%. Now, that's not great. It was below average last year. But that's still almost 10 points higher than what Justin than what Jordan Love is doing this year. I went back and looked, and for quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks, this is at least the worst adjusted completion percentage since Ryan Finley in 2019. Uh, as far as guys—and Ryan Finley was a backup. He was playing because Joe Burrow shredded his knee. Or no, I'm sorry. Ryan Finley was playing. That was on the Bengals team that earned the Joe Burrow pick. Um, if you want to go back to guys who were like supposed to be actual starting quarterbacks, uh, you got to go back way farther than that even to find a guy who was less accurate than Jordan Love is right now. Uh, and we're, this is not super early, even though it feels like it, because, um, yeah, this is only his, what was it, sixth career start, but yeah. he's, he's in year four of his career. He's in year four with the same coaching staff. He has known only this system his entire life. He has thousands of reps. And even then, these are not, it's not an inexperience problem. I mean, a lot of times you look, he he knows where he's supposed to throw the ball. He even tries to throw it there. He just misses, misses very badly. And this is the guy that he was at Utah State. He had, you know, I've mentioned many times, I have a spreadsheet. I track quarterbacks. I've got 110 quarterbacks in this spreadsheet at this point. They're college statistics to try to figure out, you know, stuff. And Jordan Love was in the bottom 10 of all college quarterbacks that have been drafted in terms of adjusted completion. He has never been an accurate passer at any level. The hope was basically that he would be the second Josh Allen, that guy who was horribly inaccurate in college and just figured it out. Um, But we have seen now, there, there have been a handful of guys, probably five, six guys in recent memory, who were very inaccurate in college, were drafted relatively high, and and teams were betting that they could fix the inaccuracy. Josh Allen is the number one guy you're going to think of, obviously. And he figured it out. He absolutely did. Um, But then you have Jordan Love. You have Trey Lance. You have... uh, You have... sorry jordan love you have trey lance you have anthony richardson is another one and we'll talk about anthony here in a little bit and obviously it's very early for him too um but we have just not we have not historically seen and you can go all the way back uh ironically the spreadsheet started with me trying to prove that josh allen was going to be a bust because i always hammer how you can't fix these poor accuracy guys you can go back to guys like kyle bowler jake locker etc the they're 99% of the time, if you were not Josh Allen and you were horribly inaccurate in college and a team has made this bet that they can fix you, they probably can't. And Jordan Love right now is the living embodiment of that. He is playing the game. He. It, it, I know Packers fans, because they've never been in this spot, are mad at Matt Lafleur for somehow not making it even easier on the guy. But Jordan Love has clean pockets more often than most quarterbacks in the NFL this year. He has open receivers more often than most quarterbacks. And they're not, they, the Packers don't even have great receivers. LaFleur is doing a great job scheming them open. He's just not throwing an accurate football, and whenever he's even slightly pressured, it immediately goes to shit. But right now, the guy on aimed passes beyond the line of scrimmage, like any pass beyond the line of scrimmage, has a 53% completion percentage. That is... Staggeringly bad. And I, I, you know, as Bears fans, I probably should be a little slower, a little more worried about spiking the football and declaring it that Green Bay has a shitty quarterback. But I've seen, I have seen enough. Your quarterback, he's, he's probably going to have some good games from here. There's probably going to be a couple in there because, you know, he does have a great arm when it, when it clicks. It looks pretty. But... That's not a good quarterback. That is not going to be a guy who consistently throws an accurate football. It's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, there are different kinds of inaccurate, right? Anthony Richardson's inaccurate issues usually come short. He's, he's very bad at throwing short passes. It's a very strange thing to be bad at. But because of that, he, he's not really inaccurate midfield, not really inaccurate deep. And therefore, his inaccuracies usually don't result in interceptions. Josh Allen, his deal was he was throwing the ball a ton downfield, very similar to Lamar Jackson when he came out of college. Um, and he just wasn't hitting as many because those passes are going to hit less often. He wasn't, neither of those two are the, like, the most accurate quarterbacks uh, in the world regardless, but their in- inaccurate numbers were kind of blown up by where and when they threw the ball. Uh, with Jordan Love uh, in college and in the NFL, it's just that the dude can't hit the broadside of a barn. Even if he knows where to go, doesn't matter if it's mid, short, long. He's gonna whip it in that general direction, and it's gonna come off like a Cade McNown pass, a Cade McNown sort of inaccuracy, or a Rex Grossman sort of inaccuracy, right? Like, whoops, sorry, that's two feet to the left, and that's an interceptable pass. Uh, and that's kind of what we've seen with Jordan. The funny thing to me. uh, is that he's gotten worse every week. Like, it's just, it is a perfect downward trend. Uh, And I think uh, you could have said, well, Atlanta, New Orleans, Detroit, those are three good defenses. Not only that, but they're getting better every week, right? Detroit is a top-five defense. Saints are a top-ten. The Falcons are top half of the league. So you could have said, if you're a Packers fan, well, it's getting harder on him, right? He's playing against very good defenses. Uh, You know, like, maybe this will get better. But, man... You go up against one of the worst defenses in the league, in the Raiders, and you you throw three interceptions. Your average net yards per attempt are one point two five on the game. <laughs> he had his worst game in the season. What this reeks of, I brought up Rex Grossman. It it reeks of being figured out. Yeah, it's two weeks now. Well, and, and I mean, game plan for him, and he's done. Well, and I mean, if you go back and you watch.
1: That Bears game, Week One, Lafleur was already pulling out every trick he had in the bag. Week One, the throwback screen, leak, all of that stuff. They were—I mean, granted, and some of that's just smart. You want to ease a guy in in his first start, but I mean, they were pulling out every trick they had in the bag. Week One. Because they they know, and I mean, we talked about this when the reports started fizzling in about how bad the Packers' offense looked in OTAs, about how bad they were looking consistently in training camp. We said this sure sounds a lot like Mitch Trubisky in 2019 when the rumors, the org was unsettled. Um, there was not a lot of confidence radiating in the player, uh, and yeah, the, they this is just not a guy who is going to be. And it's entirely, it's just one of those things where, like I said, if I thought, if I really felt like the problem was that he was just being very fooled by zone blitzes and all, and, I mean, and he's got that, that is happening, he is being fooled by a lot of coverages and stuff right now, but if I thought it was literally just like a, oh, this will get better with experience kind of thing, I'd be a little, I would be hesitant to say this, but like, his issue is that he cannot accurately throw the football, like that's, it's... It's that's it. Like it's just, it is what it. And I mean, like we are we are past. We are we're like we're even past. Josh Allen struggles is the thing. Like we're like Josh Allen in twenty nineteen oh, was sure. not an accurate passer. He was still considerably more accurate than Jordan Love is right now. We are talking an egregious level of inaccuracy. It's not fixable. It's it's like he'd have to. Make a, an enormous leap at this point to have average accuracy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's at, at the very least we can say we can sit here and I think confidently say, for the first time since you and I were three fucking years old or whatever, the Green Bay Packers do not have an elite quarterback on their roster. It's not happening. Yeah, and that's I mean, we're we'll
0: celebrating. Uh, Jair Alexander's out there being like, "Well, I guess we can't give up. Tonight. Yes, we can't <laughs> give up any points. Yeah." Welcome to the party, man. You and uh, Brian Erlacher can have a chat. You and Bears defenses for the last two decades. Yeah. Uh misery, buddy, because that's how it's always been feeling. Yeah. Like, well, I guess I guess if the other team scores more than ten points, we're fucked. Uh yeah. so we better stop these guys well, with everything we've got. There's a
1: there's a Packers blogger, Peter Bukowski. Uh, he's a relentless troll. Bears fans despise him in mass. Um he tweeted, he's like, well, Bears fans who a couple weeks ago had Caleb William avatar sure have a lot to say about the Packers' quarterback situation. It's like, yeah, fuck yeah, I do, buddy. Like, it doesn't matter who's at quarterback for the Chicago Bears. The Packers don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback. I, that is worth celebrating for its own. Because you know what? Next year, the quarterback for the Chicago Bears, very likely, right now, statistically, probably, there are two outcomes for who is playing quarterback for the Chicago Bears next year. It's either Justin Fields, because uh, who is already, right now, better than your guy in this moment in every statistical category that matters, uh, and if he's the quarterback next year, it's because he plays well the rest of this year and they're adding more players around him. That's scenario A. Scenario B is that they get a top-two pick from the Panthers, or from themselves, and they're taking either Drake May or Caleb Williams The two guys that everyone agrees are the generational prospects here But either way The odds are the 2024 Bears have a much better quarterback Than the Green Bay Packers Right now the 2023 Bears have a better quarterback Than the Green Bay Packers So fuck you Pete That's, You're damn right we're celebrating That's welcome, welcome to the rest of your fucking life My friend Aaron Rodgers is gone you will spend every minute that you are thinking about football wondering when you are going to have a guy again until you have one and guess what? you might literally never have one. I know this is hard for you guys to understand but believe it or not, there is no there is no mathematical certainty to any of this it doesn't matter you can take 50 cracks at it and get it fucking wrong. Trust me,
0: you can. Yeah, Welcome so I mean, to the cold, bitter reality that you now live in. Yeah, we wanna we wanna hope that Green Bay's defense carries them to like six or seven wins. Oh yeah, no, I mean there's there's still a lot of talent on
1: that Packers roster. Um and Al Fleur is still good at his job. I mean, for God's sakes, on the play the last play of the game against the Raiders where Love got picked off to end it, fucking Christian Watson burns his guy immediately. You can watch the video. Matt LaFleur is jumping up and down on the sidelines in excitement because he knows if, or if Jordan Love throws the football on time, they've got the game-winning touchdown right there. And, of course, Love doesn't see it. Scrambles, throws late, gets picked off. So, I mean, there's I mean they already won a game against the Bears. They won a game basically by accident against the Saints because Carr got hurt. Um So, I mean, they'll win a couple more games by accident. What we really want is for them to get five, six wins and really take themselves nowhere near those top two draft picks. And I think that'll happen. There's just too much talent still on that Packers roster. Um, But, yeah, no, you guys, what you'll find out, though, guys, is that if you don't have that quarterback, having just enough talent on your roster to win five, six, seven games without that quarterback is its own curse.
0: That's right. It's all yeah, you well, yeah, speaking of potentially drafting a quarterback, we're going to talk about these rookie quarterbacks each three has uh, one hell of a story. Uh, who do you want to start? do you want to go in order? you want to start with pick one and go on to the second guy taken then the third guy taken? um I want to start with Bryce Young. well let's start actually let's start with
1: CJ Stroud because he there's the there's actually the least to say about CJ Stroud. Other than right now, um I know I made you set your balls on the table uh and, and declare your undying love for Anthony Richardson as QB1. But as the guy who had CJ Stroud as QB1, uh I'm going to take a premature victory lap right now because that kid, Oh, don't curse him. Don't he's doing so
0: well. I know, I know, I know, I know, but he's we'll do he just do, do you remember when I celebrated my victory that Mark Sanchez was clearly better than Matt Stafford? And then three uh, minutes, was completely wrong. Don't say that shit. You again. didn't. Have, you know. You didn't. I wasn't even gonna bring
1: that up. I didn't. You didn't have to let the people know that that was a take. That was a take. He had.
0: He had Mark Sanchez was going to be better than Matt Stafford. We we had you were like I give up. You're right, man. Mark Sanchez. He kept getting uh, hurt. <laughs> people forget that now, but
1: man, once upon a time, Matthew Stafford was viewed as being made of glass. Uh, he was like the Trey Lance of his era. Um,
0: Stroud, he's not just good for a rookie right now. He's just he's good. Best quarterbacks in he's the good. statistically right now. Yeah, I mean, now I think a lot of
1: that, to be clear, is I think Bobby Slovic is. Really doing a great job as offensive coordinator. You can tell his routes or his origins in that Shanahan McDaniels or Mike McDaniel tutelage, that system, it shows the the way at which they use motion, the way at which they scheme gigs open, the way that they have schemed around not having a very good offensive line. CJ Stroud has gotten a ridiculous percentage of clean pockets for a guy who's playing behind an abysmal offensive line. I don't know how they're pulling it off, but my hat's off to him. But yeah, CJ Stroud, exactly like what I thought best case scenario he looked like. He is the ball oh this comes is beyond out
0: beyond the best case scenario. The right. ball
1: comes out right when it's supposed to every time. Yep. He that's that's just that's CJ Stroud in a nutshell. Like the ball and he's got and that that's 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 usually what you say to like praise a game manager type guy, but I mean the thing about CJ is he's got an A plus arm, he's got all the the tools too he is the best version of that game manager. It's like, yes, he's a game manager, but he's got, like, he will make the right decision, uh, but he's got the talent to make some really elite throws. So, yeah, CJ okay. Strapp
0: looks- What we said was he is, like, best case Jared Goff, right? That's that's what we kept saying. Like, what if, what if Jared Goff, like, had a, a stronger arm just by enough to get it downfield, and he also had more running ability, and that's basically who he is. And so far, those guys look almost identical. They do, they do, yeah. (laughs) It is, right? He does, yeah, absolutely. Middle
1: of field stuff, play action stuff, he's going to rip that shit, that ball, yeah, just give him an inch, he's going to throw it. So, uh, yeah. So Stroud, yeah, looks looks like the guy that I, I thought he would look like. I still... I for the longest time I was like, man, I really don't understand why the Panthers didn't take Stroud. He seems like a perfect fit for Frank Reich. I'm like Frank Reich wants to do it, yeah. and that leads us to Frank Reich's press conference this week, where he was more or less asked uh, basically about the rumors that I have now had confirmed or swirling from so many different places um, that it that literally every single person basically in the Panthers organization, GM head of scouting, head coach, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, they all lined up before the draft and they said, C.J. Stroud is our guy. And the owner said, I watched Bryce Young on TV and he has flair. I want that kid. And guess what? The guy who signs everybody's paychecks won that debate. So, and now Frank Reich is left dealing with the consequence of that. And he seemed pretty angry and pretty confrontational uh when asked for that talked about how he meets every week with the owners and how involved the owner is and how those aren't very fun meetings but they're good meeting you know i learn a lot from them uh but yeah I, I, it's so funny it seemed like frank reich was the ideal coach and the ideal system for a young quarterback uh and now you wonder is bryce young going to be enduring a coaching change uh before his second year um but yeah it's it's how do you feel about the rumors that that this guy wanted Stroud and now has been saddled with Bryce Young?
0: Well, I mean we've got it on tape uh, I think when we were talking about these three guys um, we both we we disagreed on where Richardson and Stroud would end up. Um, but I think basically where we fell was Stroud's gonna have the best stats his first year passing the ball for sure. I thought Richardson and the Colts would probably score more points because he'd be a bit more dynamic. Now, of course, he's out one to two months, which sucks. Um, But we both agreed completely that Bryce Young on the Panthers is going to be a disaster in the first year because everything that surrounds him is wrong for Bryce Young and what he's been through. This is partly because we watched Justin Fields go through it and we saw a lot of commonality between Bryce Young and Justin Fields in college and then moving into the NFL, in that they were very comfortable in college. They were behind a lot of talent. They had a lot of clean pockets. They had a lot of time. And going into the NFL, they're going into maybe the worst situation they possibly could as far as the offensive line, as far as receivers. Um, and that's borne itself out. Bryce has looked very bad. He's always under pressure. He's pretty much terrified. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we talked about the draft, we both agreed the Panthers should pick C.J. Stroud. I didn't even, even though I like Richardson better long-term, I was like, no, the Panthers should take C.J. Stroud. That's the right guy. Like, we both know Frank Reich at this point, and we know what he's going to do on his offense, and it just seemed like Stroud was the perfect fit. He's the exact guy that they should have taken, much for the same reason, you know, everybody thought Shanahan was going to take Mac Jones instead of Trey Lance a few years ago. It just fit too well, right? Um... So this this does, it doesn't take much to convince me that Reich and everybody else wanted C.J. Stroud because even if you don't necessarily think he's the most talented guy in the draft, even if you think maybe he's not, he doesn't have as high of a ceiling as Bryce Young, It's it wasn't different enough to where you sacrifice your entire system for the small guy who's faster when that's useless in a Frank Reich system, right? So Bryce Young
1: and CJ Stroud it was it was different but it felt very similar to me when people were arguing for Trey Lance over Justin Fields because it was one of those things where I was like the things that they do well are very much the same and yeah. anticipation accuracy you know awareness of where the football and the things that they do poorly are very much the same. So I would go with the guy who overall has the better tools and the better experience, et cetera, like that. And um, I guess now Bryce Young has the same level of experience as CJ Stroud. Really, they both, you know, had two full years starting and a power fight and a big time program, but still like I couldn't under ever understand what Bryce did better than CJ. And it was never a knock on Bryce. Like I still think, I still think if C.J. had gone number one overall, the Texans take Bryce Young number two and they don't think about it. And I, I still think long-term if the Panthers get out of their own way and, and build a team around him, Bryce can still be a pretty good quarterback. For sure. But there was never anything I saw that he did that C.J. couldn't do. And C.J. did not have the same physical limitations. So in my brain, that's it's just a no-brainer. You take the guy who, you know, if it, it's not, for instance, it's not a, it's not a situation where you're talking – Bryce Young let's say versus Will Levis where Will Levis obviously was the bigger stronger better arm et cetera. but Will Levis is uh what's the word bad at yes. football right um so you you know then you're like yeah I, to, you know I I am always saying all things being even I always take the guy who's just the better college quarterback uh but you have two good college quarterbacks in CJ Stroud And Bryce Young. And C.J. Stroud had an outstanding game on the national stage against Georgia in the playoffs. He showed he can do that against elite defenses. Uh, There was never any argument for me. that. And and the one thing that, that people said did make Bryce special is the thing that keeps getting people in trouble. We have started to overrate creation. We have started to overrate... Off-schedule playmaking, and I know this is your favorite thing to rant about, but that was how how Zach Wilson ended up where Zach Wilson ended up with, because people spent way too much time focusing on what he could do when the play broke down, and the thing is, if you really watched Zach Wilson, the problem was, most of the time, the play hadn't even broke down, he just abandoned the play to go do his thing, Bryce Young created, now Bryce Young wasn't Zach Wilson. When he created it at a college level, it was usually that he didn't need to create. But you and I both looked at how he was creating at a college level, and we said he's not going to be able to do that at the NFL, because this is not Josh Allen. Josh Allen can break the pocket, be running on a dead sprint to the sideline, throw it 40 yards across his body without ever setting his feet, and break a defense's will that way. Bryce Young breaks the pocket a little slower. He's a little smaller. He's going to be chased down. He often, like you said, in college, he would escape the pocket, get there, buy time, set his feet, throw. But the thing of the matter, in the NFL, you usually don't have that time to break the pocket and reset. You love when a guy does it when he does have time. But to truly be a creator at the NFL, to be a, truly a guy who can make off-schedule plays... In the NFL, you have to be a guy who can truly throw an accurate football with some zip when everything's gone to shit around you. Josh Allen, sometimes, I swear to God, I've seen that man throw it 50 yards and I don't know that either foot was touching the ground when he did. Lamar Jackson can whip that ball while sprinting dead out of bounds. You can, Justin Fields, we've seen him create and throw all it without setting his feet. Um, Bryce never had that. He doesn't have the special tools to he's the guy who is going to have to win from the pocket even though he did that creation stuff in college in the NFL he's a guy who's going to have to play like Drew Brees to have success. And so then to me the creation stuff I throw that out. I throw it out. It's not part of my eval because I'm like that's that's not a trick he's going to be able to rely on as much at the NFL level. So which one of the, if these guys both have to win from the pocket? Which one of these guys is better at winning for the pocket? And that's where I go to C.J. Stroud the better tools. So the decision never made any sense to me. It sucks to hear that apparently that decision never made any sense to Frank Reich. Um, but, you know,
0: yeah, well, the guy I mean, that signs the checks. I, we kind of talked about it earlier with Jordan Love's particular kind of inaccuracy, right? There are a lot of ways uh, you can be inaccurate. But usually, when somebody's talking about being inaccurate, they just say that. They just say, you're an inaccurate quarterback. And they don't go into it any further. They don't actually, like, look at tape. They don't watch the guy play and say, oh, he's this kind of inaccurate, that's fixable. He's this kind of inaccurate, that's... They all throw it in the bucket. So, like, we threw Josh Allen, Jordan Love, and Anthony Richardson in one bucket, right? Inaccurate. But they're completely different kinds. And with Bryce Young... People always said, makes off-schedule plays. But if you actually watch the tape of this guy, all of the kinds of off-schedule plays that he made were just him getting out of the pocket and then waiting and waiting and then throwing the ball. And maybe it's just because we'd just been through last year with Justin, but holy shit, you don't have that much time in the NFL, you know. You're, you're going to get absolutely smoked. When you watch C.J. Stroud in the second half against Iowa and the whole game against Georgia... What you saw is a guy making NFL off-schedule plays. Oh, I'm out of the pocket. I'm on the run. I set one foot, and I can throw it accurately while I'm moving because that's all the time you've got. And guess what? You have to do that against Georgia because they had an NFL defensive line last year, right? So, Bryce, you do, like you said, you have to throw out all of his ability to create uh, from college because he did anything that was NFL-ready. If if it if anything, that ability to create in college
1: works against him in the NFL because the instinct is now there at the NFL level. But you can watch, I think especially against uh, I can't remember which game of his I was watching exactly now but there are multiple plays where he escapes the pocket and he's like backing up and backing up and backing up and then he realizes you can see it, he even realizes like, I'm not going to be able to set my feet and throw, and he just has to disgust dejectedly throw the ball out of bounds. And so at that point, it's a negative that he even tried to escape the pocket and buy time like that. You want to see him stay in the pocket and try to move around and see if he can eventually find space in the pocket to make a throw. But the more he falls back, he doesn't have the arm talent to drop to fall back 10
0: yards and flick it 30. He just doesn't have that. So, I think, was, I think it was the LSU game was the one we talked about the most with Bryce, where he, he was forced to try to make those plays, to try to throw while he was on the run, uh, while he was being chased by somebody, and it went horribly. He looked, he looked miserable. He looked like Zach Wilson did in the one game he played against a good defense against Coastal Carolina, um, and that was kind of like the uh, we point to that and we're scared. Now, kudos to uh, C.J. Stroud, by the way, because the big thing that the really the only concern we had was, are we going to get the C.J. Stroud that played against Georgia, or are we going to get the C.J. Stroud that looked apathetic in other games, right? And to his credit, it's been Georgia, C.J. Stroud the whole way. Um, and also, you got to credit D'Amico Ryans. We, we are both so happy that that dude is succeeding. To the Texans became very cool very fast, so... Yeah. Credit to that. You asked me who my backup team is. It might just be the Texans at this point. Uh, they're, they're just they're a blast to watch, and I want them, pretty much everybody on that team to succeed.
1: Yeah. So I think we've covered Bryce. We want to We want to finish with Anthony, and this is just a sad... Yeah. I'm just going to play the Fox sad injury
0: music. The yeah. Out for one to two months It's for Tony. So... I
1: will say this, and again, all of this is such a small sample size, but the thing that concerns me the most about Anthony Richardson at this point is we spent so much time when we did our draft breakdown talking about how the great thing about Anthony is he is
0: incredible
1: at avoiding hits and avoiding sacks. And remember, his pressure to sack rate, yeah. In college was like nine point nine percent, which is an absurd figure. What do you think his pressure to sack rate through his first four NFL games is, Travis?
0: He's getting sacked at the exact same rate as Bryce Young, and I'm stunned. So I'm sure it's high.
1: It's it's tw- almost twenty three percent, which is higher. It's a Justin Fieldsian kind of thing.
0: So it's that bad. I don't know what's going on.
1: So that's what scares me because the argument that we both made for Anthony Richardson is. If you use him as a runner, and but the, the the upside he provides as a runner, the upside he provides as a deep thrower, and the upside he provides in that he will never take negative plays, he won't lose yardage on sacks, will offset the inaccuracy. Now, the inaccuracy is it's still there. His completion percentage is under 60. His adjusted completion percentage isn't like Jordan Love bad. Uh, but it's still low. It's it's, <laughs> it's 71%, which is, again, it's not what you want. You want to be about 70, at minimum, 74, 75.
0: Thought, Justin Fields, you know, starting out his career, same. Year, but
1: <clears> yeah, he, but then, yeah, that's the problem. Anthony Richardson was supposed to, we thought he'd look a, lot, a little bit like early Justin Fields, but he was supposed to be a little better in some ways in that he wasn't going to take the sacks and he wasn't going to take the hits. But unfortunately, he's taking the sacks and the hits. And as we've seen with early Justin Fields those sacks and those hits they can impact a guy's confidence and they I mean they impact they literally impact a guy. He is shoulders fucked now. He's already been concussed. So, um I think we are both still 100% in on Anthony Richardson the talent, but we're a little worried about his play style now in a way that I wasn't coming out of the draft. I really thought I really thought he'd avoid these hits early on. Yeah. I really thought he'd Because, you know, Lamar has always had this really good ability to avoid hits when he's running the football. Um, He avoids those body blows. He's just a natural. And what people pointed out is that one thing we may be underrated in this factor is there was so much focus on how few pass attempts Anthony Richardson had in college. He also didn't have that many rushing attempts because he didn't play that many games. And so... People are saying he's got to learn how to protect himself as a designed runner now, too. And that's something I didn't really think about, but it's true. He's got to learn how—so he's going to have to learn how to slide. He's going to have to learn to, how to protect himself
0: a little better than I thought—a little more than I thought he needed to. Yep. Yeah, I agree. He uh, The sack thing is, is disconcerting. I mean, I, he got sacked a couple times in week one, and I was like, wow, that's crazy that somebody could sack Anthony Richardson twice— um, but he's he's kind of kept it up. Um, like I said, he's taking sacks at the same, the same percentage as Bryce Young is, and I thought he was going to get sacked into oblivion. Um, I, I know the Colts' offensive line is not good. He is under pressure a lot. Um, but one of the things we talked about is Richardson is very used to being under pressure. Uh, that Florida offensive line was bad. He was constantly under assault. Um, so we thought he's kind of used to it. He, he's good at throwing the ball away. Um, and at this point he just hasn't been able to get out of the way of that rush. Maybe it's just the quality of rusher coming after him, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, he looks pretty good for a rookie. I think, uh, just statistically, you know, like he looks, he looks pretty decent. He does not put the ball in harm's way. Um, he still has the inaccuracy short, which is vexing. Um, and it's something he's got to work on. Um, which he's not going to be able to for the next. Yeah, he,
1: that's 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 where the injuries really upset you the most. Is I mean, obviously, I mean, it's early on, and guys, guys get hurt. I don't want to call him like an injury-prone player yet or anything, um, but it concerns you that he's going to miss important developmental. I mean, this guy is a guy whose rookie season is so pivotal, so important. Um, he needs those reps. He needs the game action uh, to try to figure this shit out. So that's that's a bummer. To end on a downer for the rookie quarterbacks, there. Um, so we we talk about our rookie
0: still looking better than Bryce Young. Uh, he is still, is, looking, which, is yeah, <laughs> which is a problem.
1: Which is a problem. Um, now we talked about some rookie quarterbacks. I did want to end on two guys as far as quarterback talk, and we'll see what we have time left for after that. Is that's not quarterback talk, yes. but uh, one of them is a second year quarterback, and one of them is a third year quarterback. Um, but to me they're very much they're very similar guys they are both guys that were drafted with the same argument an argument as old as time no this guy doesn't have the best ceiling but what he does is he's a leader of men and he makes good decisions with the football and he's accurate and he wins from the pocket and there may be all that flashy razzle dazzle stuff nowadays but this is what a quarterback still looks like.
0: That's right. And
1: those two guys are Mac Jones and Kenny Pickett. And to see them both fall flat on their faces to start this season has been cathartic for me. Yeah. Because the thing about that argument there that I just made, it's very sarcastically, is I hate that argument. And there is a very large subsection of every NFL, the NFL commentariat, NFL fan bases, they fucking need that guy to still have a viable role in today's NFL. They need the ideal quarterback to always look like Tom Brady in their minds. They are the ones that always gloat when Lamar Jackson gets hurt because they don't like these running quarterbacks. They're the ones that always, right now, they're the ones, there are people in Indianapolis saying that Gardner Minshew should just be the full time starter. Anthony Richardson's proven already somehow that his style of football doesn't work. There, there, There is this real jealousy, I think, of some of these dual-threats, extremely talented quarterbacks who have taken over the league. Um, people, I think, very much don't like thinking about it from uh, the fact that these are truly the world's best athletes. They like to think about it in terms of like, what really matters is grit and intelligence and accuracy and playing the game the right way. And yes, there's a lot of coded stuff in everything I've just said. I think you all know that. You know why a certain archetype of quarterbacks pisses this these people off and why a certain type of archetype of quarterbacks. There, there's a real reason why when I tweeted a lot about Justin Fields last year in this offseason, I found a disturbing number of Pittsburgh Steelers fans who shouldn't have any opinion on Justin Fields at all, but who really wanted me to know that Kenny Pickett was better than Justin Fields. There's a real they really wanted me to know that for some reason. Uh so it's been nice to see these guys fall flat on their faces. It really has. And it's been so funny to see some of the defenses of them. Like with Kenny Pickett, a lot of people are saying, "Like, well, he's still young, he needs to grow, but the thing is, he's not that young. He came into the league at 25 years old. Yeah. He, he threw more passes in college than any quarterback that's been drafted other than Phillip Rivers. He threw set, almost 1,700 passes in five years starting as a college quarterback. The argument for him, the only argument for him as a first-round quarterback was that he was quote-unquote NFL-ready. And then the mini turned out to not be NFL ready, the mini turned out to suck ass. That was when shit starts rolling in. Like, oh you gotta give all these guys time. We saw the same stuff play out with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones was the argument for him was he doesn't have the tools, but he's NFL ready, and then he wasn't NFL ready, and then the argument suddenly became, Well, you gotta give him time. The Giants gave him time. They let Brian Dable scheme him into looking good for one year, and then they gave him a contract that they literally already regret. So That's Kenny Pickett. I talked about him this offseason. The other thing about Kenny is that a lot of those traits that I talked about, he doesn't even have. They were projected on him by people who looked at what he looks like and made an assumption. Because Kenny Pickett is actually horrible in the pocket. That man runs for more ghosts than any quarterback in the league. He bails on clean pockets all the time. Kenny Pickett is good at exactly one type of play. And it's where he drops back, his back foot hits the ground, he sees his number one option is already open, and he throws the ball. No thinking, no moving whatsoever. Every other type of play, the minute Kenny Pickett has a thought, thought one, the Steelers are fucked. He runs, he panics, the ball's very bad. The only type of pass that he can effectively throw beyond 10 yards is a back shoulder fade. To George Pickens. They went to it like 20 times against the Ravens. And because the Ravens kept dropping passes, eventually the 13 points they got from it was enough to win the ball game. But, uh, and, and we're seeing this now with Mac Jones too. Now, to be fair to Mac, it is not all his fault. The, the big fault is that Bill Belichick, I feel like, ever since Tom Brady has left, has been trying to recreate the Tom Brady Patriots, but not the later Tom Brady Patriots, like the original Tom Brady Patriots. He wants a strong running game. He doesn't value wide receiver talent very much. He wants a game manager quarterback, and he wants a snarling defense. And the thing is, you just when you're in a division with Josh Allen, who can take your top five DVOA defense and shred it if he's feeling good that day, like he did in that playoff game two years ago, that type of de- that type of roster building is just antiquated. That type of thinking is antiquated, um, and Mac Jones is stuck in an outdated system, in an outdated offense, with an outdated philosophy. He doesn't have a lot of wide receiver talent, but the thing is, he does need all of those things around him to succeed because he's not a special player. He is a guy. He is a distributor and a point guard who can make the right decision if there's a right decision to be made. He is not a guy who will ever ever fix a broken play, fix a bad team, etc. This What was it? The, uh, and I just want to share this stat about Mac Jones and the Patriots offense because, oh my God, that was, I read. Okay. So this is from an article today. One particular statistic tells the most damning story during the offense's last 31 possessions, which spans more than two games. The Patriots have actually been outscored 22 to three. That's 3 points for the offense and 3 touchdowns for opposing defenses. So, when the Patriots own offense has had the ball for their last 31 drives, they have the the Patriots offense has allowed 22 points and scored only 3. That's just staggeringly bad.
0: Yeah, I mean the Patriot Belichick really should have retired when Tom Brady left the first time and just been like we're good. But I think just out of spite, he was like, I'm going to stick around and prove that I was the reason he succeeded. And then Brady went off and won a Super Bowl. And at this point, I don't think he's ever going to give it up until he gets back there. And he is proving that he, he's just not going to be able to do it. Like, the Patriots are, are in a dire situation right now. We were discussing, uh, just hypothetically, like, what if Fields keeps this up? And we still have the number one pick because Carolina's a disaster. Uh, like, who's going to want that pick? How much can we get out of them? And the Patriots are going to be a prime candidate for that shit because they're so bad. They're going to have a high pick, um, they're going to need a quarterback, and all that. Um, and it's still, it won't fix this team because the guy who is leading the team is completely wrong about how you win games in the NFL right now. And he he just got to rely on the best quarterback in NFL history for years and years. And even as he fell out of touch, even as things stopped working, Tom Brady fixes a lot of problems. and, And people forget that the reason
1: Brady left was that even Tom Brady was balking and squabbling at how little attention Bill paid to wide receiver, how little he was giving him offensive weapons. You know, when Tom Brady went to Tampa, he picked Tampa because he wanted to play with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and he recruited guys like Julio Jones and Antonio. He was always recruiting superstars because he was tired of throwing to the Kimbrell Tompkins of the world. Yeah. And But he made it work because he's fucking Tom Brady. And now Bell Belichick is asking Matt Jones to just make it work with whatever smorgasbord of... Wide receiver, two, three guys he can assemble on the cheap, uh, and it's just it's not working. So and then now again, this uh, people really like to get caught into like it was Belichick or it was Brady. It, it was truly the marriage of the two for as long as it worked. Sure. It, and and saying Bill Belichick has an outdated philosophy now does not mean that he had an outdated philosophy in two thousand eleven. It just means that eventually the game will pass all of you by to some extent. It, it, it will always happen eventually. If Bill Walsh were resurrected in his prime and he came back to coach the 49ers tomorrow, his, out, his ideas, his opinions, his philosophies would be outdated. It doesn't mean he wasn't one of the greatest coaches in history. It doesn't undermine his contributions. It just means, like, yes, he's very stuck on this idea of what a winning football team looks like, and in today's NFL, it's wrong. It is incorrect. And he probably got away with it longer than he should have because Tom Brady could make most
0: things work. Yeah, I mean, very few head coaches um, are, like, adaptable and can change with the times and always improve and always upgrade things. In fact, the only one I can think of who comes to mind is Andy Reid. I was literally just
1: going to say, Andy Reid, if you go back, I mean, if you look at the offense he was running with Donovan McNabb, and you look at the stuff he runs today with Patrick Mahomes, the, the... the the funny thing, the core philosophy is in a lot of ways the same but the actual plays the formations the personnel groupings it's completely different there's nothing he has a, no one has adapted i mean and he's been an innovator he hasn't even just a lot of times he's not been the guy who sees someone else do this and then and then adapts he's the guy that i feel like is scouting college football and saying that's that's cool i should do that we'll try that next We'll put that in the playbook. He's always stayed on the forefront of things. And that is hard for guys. And I do think Bill Belichick, uh, and a lot of it comes down to which side of the ball you're native to. I think Bill Belichick's defense has evolved throughout history. Bill Belichick still has a—they still have a very good defense. um, But defensive coaches by nature—we always talk about this paradox. Um, One of the great quotes is that Bob Stoops, when he first went to Oklahoma— hired Mike Leach at to be his offensive coordinator, and Mike Leach asked why. And Bob Stoop said, because when I was a defensive coordinator at Florida, your defense or your offense was the only one I could never fucking figure out. And I don't understand why most defensive coaches don't think like that. If I was a defensive right. coordinator and became a head coach, I'd be like, what is the offense that I could never figure out how to stop? That's the offense I want. Yeah. And most of them, in fact, build and go with the exact kind of offense that they would beat. Because they're so risk-averse. Whereas, I mean, that's one thing that, you know, I think the execution of the plan has been horrible on all ends, but Matt is one thing that he did say one time that made me happy when he first hired was he was like, well, as a defensive coordinator, when you've got a quarterback who can run the ball and throw deep, that scares the shit out of you. Like, that's why I like Justin Fields. Now, it took them forever to actually, and they still... Even when they started doing it last year, they went away from it early this year and now they're finally getting back to it but like when they built the offense around Justin Field throwing deep and running the football, they looked pretty good because yeah. the QB run game is hard to stop and it puts you and it makes leaves you vulnerable to the deep passing game when you try to stop it and you get a guy like Bill Belichick who knows that but then decides he wants to build his offense around Mac Jones, a guy who doesn't scare you in the best of times.
0: yeah. So I think uh, I mean we can make a little bear sandwich here, and we can wrap it up with a little, oh, yeah. little more positive news about the bears. A yeah, yeah. And who wants to be
1: sandwiched by some bears? Oh, I've got that. Okay, between two bears. You gotta get between two bears and
0: join being the meat in that sandwich. Hell yeah! All right. <laughs> Uh, But, yeah, so one of the other reasons to be positive about Justin Fields right now is the first three games of the season. Sure, we got owned by the Packers. That's just a universal truth. Sorry, guys. Uh, But the next two games, we got uh, he struggled against Tampa Bay, and he struggled against the Chiefs. And I think the idea going into the season was that, sure, those teams would have competent defenses. um, But they're the type of NFL defenses you really do want to beat, right, if you're going to be good. Yeah. Um, and we seem to have underestimated them. Both of those teams have top six defensives by DVOA right now, um, and the Bucks in particular have been way better than we expected, um, and seem to be the favorites in the NFC South right now. Uh, what What about the Bucks? Do you want to talk about first? Because uh, there's a, there's a lot about this team to like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe we should start with that defense. They did stymie the Bears' offense, but man, they've looked even better than we expected, right? Yeah, no, I mean, Tampa, and I guess
1: it's one of those things that really shouldn't be that surprising. This is a team that has made the playoffs the last three years in a row, and we knew that there was still a lot of talent there. It just felt like that talent had kind of atrophied enough in key places, and then obviously no one knew what Baker Mayfield was going to be, but um, one of the, better hires good lord dave Canales, the the bucks offensive coordinator that guy's done such a great job and man does he understand the baker formula and i think it's a couple things i think baker form i think baker mayfield for sure his shoulder is finally healed so he's allowed to really rip the ball with confidence like he used to but man when you have baker mayfield you throw the ball on play action on early downs you use a lot of tight ends you let him rip those big play action throws outside the numbers um, and that is what they are doing with Baker. They are getting the best possible version of Baker, um, the one that we saw a couple years ago when the Browns did make the playoffs with him. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Mike Evans is still Mike Evans. They've still got a lot of talent at wide receiver. They have Tristan Wirfs, who is maybe the best, one of the best, one of the three best tackles on the game, maybe the best tackle in the game. I don't know. I don't want to start an offensive line fight. I don't know how strongly yeah. people feel about Laramie Tunsell or Trent Williams versus. Tristan Worse, so I think we can all agree, whatever tier is at the top, those three are in it. Um, and they still have a lot of defensive talent. So, yeah, I mean, and Todd Bowles has always been a great defensive coordinator. Um, so, yeah, it's, I guess it shouldn't, it feels surprising. It maybe shouldn't be that surprising after all. Uh, but, yeah, the Bucks. it does put things a little bit more into context that the Chiefs' defense is very good. The Bucks' defense is very good. The only, the Broncos' Defense is very bad, but Fields played very well against them That one we pin on our own horrible defense Which is also what we would pin the Green Bay game on As our own horrible defense So uh, it does make you feel a little bit better maybe about Justin Fields That the two defenses that we've seen him struggle with the most The Bucs and the Chiefs turned out to be very good defenses Um, It doesn't make you feel very good about the Bears defense That we know Jordan Love sucks eggs now uh, and they still couldn't stop him from moving the football. But, yeah, that's that's to sandwich this episode with some Bears nuggets. There you go.
0: Yep. Baker, right now, the highest average net yards per attempt of his entire career so far. He's yep. over seven there. Uh, and, I mean, I think once we realize that Minnesota and Chicago have two pretty bad defenses, right, and then he struggled a bit against the Eagles, um, which everybody's going to do. People thought, well, maybe, maybe he was just playing bad defenses. You know, he's going to come back to Earth. The Saints are a top ten defense by DVOA. He ripped them apart this last week. You know, looked really good. The whole I mean, I think team destroyed New
1: Orleans. I think we know what Baker Mayfield is in the best of times. He is, sure. he is, he is a Kirk Cousins light. He's a guy who needs a specific situation to succeed. He needs a specific type of offense to succeed. He needs a specific recipe of play action versus non-play action. He needs all of that. But the thing is, the Bucks are giving him all of that right now, and we know he can do a damn good impersonation of a top 12, top 13 quarterback when he has all of that, and he's doing it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, obviously you can make the playoffs with this version of Baker Mayfield,
0: 100%. Yeah, I think he was on the, the Pat McAfee show. Um, this last week, and I was surprised by how candid he was in the sense that he basically told the story the same way we assumed it went, where he was like, yeah, I tore my shoulder in Cleveland and, you know, they they were so supportive, and they were just like, yeah, you know, get back out there and play through it and be tough and, like, thought I was doing the right thing, and then they just completely fucking held it against me and threw me under the bus, and then I was gone and in Carolina, the next, like, just all of a sudden, you know, and it really... I, I feel like it turned me into like a Baker Mayfield fan, like oh, yeah. completely unfair, you know. So it's great to see him succeeding out here. Oh, I mean he, he did not deserve what he got. Every bad
1: game that Deshaun Watson has this year and every good game Baker Mayfield yeah. has is it's what the Cleveland Browns one hundred percent deserve. Without so a doubt. you know, and I do I think Baker Mayfield himself is kind of a red ass and has he said some real stupid shit in his life, yes. But when it comes down to it, we're talking about uh, a player who was screwed by ownership and management basically this was he was the labor was screwed he was told to take one for the team and then the team discarded him and that always pisses me off. Yeah. so I am happy to see him have success and I'm happy to see the browns flop around with a quarterback that they gave up way too much for paid way too much money to who sucks uh, as a person as a, and currently as a player so. Hurrah, right. Baker.
0: Right, that's, a, that's a fine note to. But uh, yeah, it's a good place to end. So, anyways, we'll see you guys next week. Hopefully,
1: we're talking about another Justin Fields uh, fireworks show against the Vikings. Um, hopefully, we're talking about another Bears win. If we're not, you know, if if things go real south, we'll, we'll probably have another episode look something a little bit like this, where we talk about just a little bit of Bears, and then we talk about other better football teams if we need to. So, But let's hope we're actually talking about the Bears because the Bears are worth. Talking about So Heck yeah Alright Well have fun folks Go Bears Well my hole's in the delta Way out on that bumper floor Now you know I'm leaving Chicago I sure do hate to go.
0: Home. Now you are i leaving here in the morning.
1: Won't be back no more.